0: This podcast was funded by and developed in collaboration with AstraZeneca.
1: Hi, this is Vic Nitty, chair of the AUA Office of Education, welcoming you to another Office of Education podcast, this one on PARP inhibitors adverse event management. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Stephen Friedland, who is a urologist, at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California, where he holds the Warshaw Robertson and Law Families Chair in Prostate Cancer. Steve, welcome.
0: Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here.
1: I'd like to go over a couple of learning objectives before we start, and they are, first, to identify approved PARP inhibitors for prostate cancer and patients who may benefit from PARP inhibitor-based therapy. Second, to evaluate available clinical safety and efficacy data for PARP inhibitors. Third, to describe indications and contraindications for PARP inhibitors in patients with advanced prostate cancer. And finally, to identify how to manage adverse events that patients may experience while taking a PARP inhibitor. So with that said, we'll go ahead and, uh, and get started. Steve, tell us a little bit about PARP inhibitors and what exactly they do.
2: So PARP inhibitors are a, a drug that block PARP. And PARP is what's involved in repairing DNA damage. Specifically, as we remember from basic biology, we have two strands of DNA. And we often get damages in those strands of DNA from free radicals that form, radiation, drugs, just bad luck DNA can break. It it happens all the time through evolution. And over time, we've evolved very intricate measures to control that and prevent chaos from happening in the cell. And so what PARPs are actually involved in repairing those single strand break. So you have a break in one strand. So the, the idea is with PARP inhibitors is you actually block that, which to a certain degree sounds a little counterintuitive in that now you you actually are increasing the amount of DNA damage in the cell. What happens is that if you are a normal cell, even though you have a little bit more damage from the PARP inhibitors, you can still repair it, no problem. What happens is you actually end up and kind of push it to what we call double strand breaks. So now both the DNA strands are broken. The DNA actually can come apart. And we have very strong mechanisms to prevent that because that's really when chaos happens and to the point where the cell could actually die. And so one of the ways we do that is to what we call homologous recombination repair, HRR. That's the mechanism cells use to put those kind of split ends of the DNA back together, knows where to go, everything kind of keeps things under control. And so some of the genes are there, maybe familiar to our listeners BRCA1, BRCA2, ATM, and there's a list of other genes um, that can be involved in that. But those are some of the key genes that we have. And so when patients have a mutation in uh, one of those genes and are given PARP inhibitors that you created this DNA damage by blocking PARP, now the cell has its fundamental genomic defects, but the two create what we call a synthetic lethality, meaning it's lethal if you have both together, either one alone is not lethal. When you put the two together, it creates and can kill that cell. And that is the concept that the PARP inhibitors can, when in these men who have these homologous recombination repair defects can actually kill tumor cells resulting in improved outcomes. There's two currently approved uh, PARP inhibitors out there, FDA approved, one is Rucaparib and the other is Olaparib. And they both work, they've been studied in uh, different studies Um, But they're both FDA approved specifically for these men with advanced metastatic prostate cancer.
1: And how about PARP inhibitors in urologic malignancies? Where are they most beneficial or will they be most beneficial?
2: So it's really in tumors driven by DNA repair defects. So when we look in urological care, that's really going to be mostly prostate. Um, they have shown great benefits in ovarian cancer and in breast cancer, other BRCA-related cancers, but the genetics and genomics of other urological cancers don't really seem to be DNA repair-related. So I think it's going to be predominantly, from a urology perspective, predominantly prostate cancer.
1: So what are the current indications for using a PARP inhibitor in prostate cancer?
2: So in terms of the, the current indications would be um, if it basically ha- one is having DNA repair defects, particularly the homologous recombination repair defects. Um, the second is you failed at least an AR-targeted therapy, AVI or ENSA. Um And then, you know, you certainly want to make sure we touch base on some of the toxicities, making sure you don't have any particular high risk factors for some of that. And the the nice thing is there's really not contraindications per se. Um, I guess the contraindication is if you don't meet the indications, there's nothing specifically contraindicating a PARP inhibitor for these patients.
1: What are the common adverse events related to PARP inhibitors and how do we manage those?
2: Yeah, it's important. If
0: you're going to start a new therapy, you got to know how to what the issues are and how to manage it. Um, I would say the number one thing we see would be anemia. Um, and we'll talk in a second about how we manage that. Other things that be common would be kind of GI effects, um, nausea being the most common. Uh, you can get diarrhea. You can also get constipation, though that's not you know a lot of patients older age comorbidities have constipation. So it's not always a a PARP specific issue. Um, you can get fatigue, but again, a lot of men, older men, metastatic castrate resistant disease will have fatigue. You know, if they're having really bad diarrhea, um, make sure they don't have some sort of infection going on something else. You want to make sure they're hydrated, um, you know, um, so I think it's a lot of, of kind of symptom management type things. Um, for the nausea and vomiting, you know, you can give prophylactic antiemetics type things, um, make, try to work with them in terms of the foods they're eating, fatigue, um, certainly want to check for anemia, that could be the source of the fatigue, check iron levels, uh, making sure they're getting their exercise continuing to do that. Um, so it's a lot of uh, symptom management type things, basic things. And when we
2: look at these, you know, I, I think nausea and vomiting usually tends to be mild, self-limited fatigue is something we're very familiar with in advanced prostate cancer patients. A lot of our therapies have it, um, in, in terms of, you know, approaches, trying to get them to exercise more, or lose weight, um, but you can also, for the you know nausea and vomiting, as well as the fatigue, you know, dose reduction, going down on the dose of the drugs, um, do a, a brief
0: drug holiday as much as possible. I think the anemia is the one that that's new to urologists that we don't have a lot of experience managing anemia. I think uh, GI issues, fatigue, are, are common among a lot of the agents we use. Um, so in terms of the anemia. What I would say is the first is to make sure that we're evaluating and optimizing the iron levels, the different things, folate B12 can all be associated with anemia. So making sure they're getting their iron. If you're giving iron, it helps with vitamin C that actually helps the absorption of the iron. Um, you got to be careful though, the vitamin C and, and iron in particular um, actually can cause constipation. So it may be, counterbalance some of the diarrhea they're having. Um, But again, you just gotta be cognizant of that and and managing that appropriately. Often that will take care of the problem. Um, If it doesn't, you could think about blood transfusions. And I know this is very different for urologists where we're used to blood transfusions because they're bleeding from surgery, Um, not that they're bleeding from the medicines that we're giving or not bleeding, but decreased blood production is what it is. And so um, you can certainly give blood transfusions as needed. Um, If things continue, you can certainly reduce the dose and or take a a drug holiday, see if you're able to reintroduce it. Um, One thought you may have would be to give EPO or something like that. There's some data that that may actually promote tumor growth. So a lot of oncologists are very hesitant to give Mm -hmm. EPO to patients uh, with solid tumors. So it's generally not a a treatment that we'd recommend usually between uh, again, checking the iron levels, vitamin, folate, B12, transfusions needed, dose reducing, and then actually stopping the dose for a period of time if we need. Usually you can get most of these patients uh, to remain on drug uh, long-term and manage their anemia.
1: Steve, tell us a little bit about how to manage adverse events that patients may experience while taking a PARP inhibitor.
0: So, in terms of managing, you know, uh, PARP uh, side effects, you know, one of the things that we often do in medicines, we look to guidelines. And there's not great, you know, clear guidelines. So, one paper that was actually referred to me by one of our medical oncologists, uh, published in 2020. And what I really like about the article is it goes through and has a very nice table for all the the major side effects uh, that can be seen. And they list them breaking down by non-hematological, so non-blood related of which they list 10, and then hematological of which they list three. And then they actually break them down very concrete to initial measures, additional steps that can be done and these are, you know, you look at the table, it's very clear. These are not, you know, full paragraphs that I'm trying to, you know, pull out the, the key elements, you know, for anemia, for example, initial step is evaluate and optimize iron levels and hemonitics, which would be folate and B12. Additional is blood transfusions without dose reduction. The next would be dose reduction and our interruption for recurrent episodes. It's bullet point. It's, it's the way my brain works as a surgeon. I want a quick answer, um, you know, and, and really get down to a practical guidance of things that I can be doing. And then it also has a very nice table where they grade the different toxicities that you're likely to see and actually give the CTCAE uh, grading of grade one, two, three, or four. So with one paper, I can look and determine what the grade is of the toxicity I'm seeing as well as again very simple practical management and I find this paper to be extremely helpful.
1: Now are PARP inhibits are PARP inhibitors commonly administered by urologists or is it almost exclusively medical oncologists who are giving PARP inhibitors?
2: I would say the current practice is probably very, very skewed towards medical oncologists with the idea that they have been FDA approved in prostate for about 10 months now. But they have been out for years in gyne-onc and breast cancer and other cancers that are treated by medical oncologists. So a lot of gyne-onc is treated by gyne-oncologists. And so I think those specialties have years worth of experience with PARP inhibitors. And so for them to add prostate to their mix is not a huge issue. Um, For the urologist to learn a brand new drug, brand new pathway, brand new testing, brand new side effects, it is a learning curve. And there are urologists I know who already were involved in the trials and are on board and using it now. And I think a a lot of others are, are intrigued but maybe haven't gotten there yet. But I think over time, uh, with knowledge and, and the efforts of the AUA, I applaud the AUA for doing these type of podcasts. Um, hopefully, we can disseminate that knowledge and, and bring it to urologists who want to be doing it.
1: So, yes, urologists can do it. Uh, seems reasonable. If they choose not to do it, then uh, I guess it's important that they work with their medical oncology colleagues to make sure uh, at least these uh, therapies are offered to uh, potential candidates for them.
2: Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, if you are doing a PARP inhibitor as second line therapy, so after novel hormonal agents and it, the patient progresses at barely, which they're going to do after any therapy, unfortunately, in that late stage, typically the next line would be a chemo, a dose of taxol. Uh, you could do radium if they're uh, chemo ineligible, um, if they're still asymptomatic, Provenge if you haven't done that. Um, but as you're really bringing in the chemos into play as, as the next line of therapy, uh, there's not a lot of urologists out there that are giving chemotherapy. There certainly are. I mean, anything is, is learnable, but I think that's few and far between. So I do think it's important to work with your medical oncologist uh, throughout this process.
1: So as our audience becomes familiar with PARP inhibitors and their use in prostate cancer, what are your take-home messages?
2: So the take-home message is PARP inhibitors are here to stay. I think they're going to move earlier and earlier in the disease. Um, studies need to test that and improve that. That's just a, an opinion I have and I, I don't think they're going away. So if you want to be a comprehensive uh, physician who manages advanced metastatic prostate cancer, this should be part of your armamentarium. But importantly, if it's not, that's okay. Make sure you have access to a provider, whether a urologist uh, you know, in your practice or a local another practice or a medical oncologist that can give these therapies at the end of the day not about who gives the therapy, but making sure the patient gets the right care that they need.
1: Well, thanks, Steve. I think that was a really nice uh, outline of PARP inhibitors and also their the management of adverse events that can be uh, associated uh, with them. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for, uh, for your participation. Any closing remarks?
2: Uh, again, I want to Thank the AUA for putting this on, and you know I, I think it's it's for anyone who's embarking upon a new therapy, make sure you work with the company that's producing the drug. They will have a lot more detailed information about prescribing, side effects, and things. Um, but this is very much for those who are comfortable managing advanced prostate cancer and dealing with the side effects of the therapy. This drug, these drugs can very much be within the armamentarium of a uh, well-skilled urologist.
1: Great, well, thanks again. And of course, I would like to, as always, thank our audience. Uh, and if you uh, would like more information, please visit us at auanet.org university. Thank you.
2: For a more thorough review of PARP inhibitors, please visit the AUA University and check out our new series, PARP inhibitors from research to practice.